everybody watching by a live stream as well, uh, I want to encourage you guys to uh, share the stream. Uh, if you're in the social world, share the stream with somebody who needs some encouragement, who needs some hope, who needs some light this time of year. So anybody, you know what the best part of Christmas is other than Jesus? No? You know, nobody wants to answer. The light. Anybody like lights? You, know, you enjoy the lights? So we got our Christmas tree up. Uh, we waited until we could get some of the family down to put the tree up, uh, Rowan in particular. And so Sherry put the tree up. And so we have one of those box trees, right, that has all the pre-programmed lights on it. And so when we plugged it in, no lights. So that was totally lame. So Sherry went and got, um, she went and got a bunch of lights uh, the other day, and she put all the, the lights on the tree. And then last night, uh, I think she just finished it all last night. So I'm going to bed, and I normally turn off all the lights. And she's like, you didn't turn off all the lights. And I said, oh, uh, th that's from the tree. Because we have a rule in our house that once the tree is lit, it doesn't go out. We leave it on. So, you know, so it's like this thing. So she's like, oh, it's just the tree. So we'll leave it on because Sherry's like totally into the Christmas tree. And so light in the darkness is a, a wonderful thing. And Jesus came into the world to bring light into our lives. Light is, um, light is actually one of the characters and natures of God. God is light and in him is no darkness. And I think it's even interesting that we live in the northern hemisphere. And in the northern hemisphere, we have the winter solstice, which means it's the shortest day of the year and the longest night. And so Christmas comes right around the time of the winter solstice, just when everything's darkest for us we can remember that light comes into the world. And so Jesus is the light in the darkness. It's his character, his nature. First uh, John, John, he says, we declare this to you that God is light and in him is no darkness. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the Lord said, let there be. That's right, and there was light. So light is an essential part of the gospel. Light is an amazing thing if you ever... Um, have nothing to do and um, just want to peruse or look at something, one of the things you can look at is light and the spectrum of light and just how light affects things uh, and what light actually does. And there's spectrums of light. There's things that we can see within the color spectrum, but there's also, spe there's also as, um, uh, parts of light that cannot be seen. Yeah, we have infrared, uh, there's gamma light, there's different types of light that fall outside of the visible spectrum. It's really fascinating in that the Lord personifies himself as light, which is, again, very interesting. So we're going to talk about light this morning. We're going to talk about the light that Christ gives to us, why he came, and how this light has and can and will impact your life. Uh, so we're going to read first. I'm going to start off with this first John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. This is from the Living Bible. It says, before anything else existed, Jesus was there, and he was with God, and he was God and he created everything. In him is eternal life, and that life gives light to all mankind. And this light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overtake it. Aren't you glad? Amen. Aren't you glad that darkness cannot overtake light? Isn't that amazing? And that light is the power over darkness, and nothing moves faster than light? Right? You say, what? Nothing moves faster than light. You say, how do you know this? Because I've tried to open my refrigerator door before the light comes on, and I just can't do it. I, you should try it. You see that nothing moves faster than light. So we're talking about light. It's easy to get lost in the dark. In a world that we live in, we're born into a dark world. We're surrounded by darkness, and it's, it's, there's a lot of different issues, and we experience darkness within our lives. And the, the, the world that we're born into, it's easy to get lost in that. The, the, the surrounding thing that's around us all of the time, the darkness and the hopelessness and the despair, it's easy to get lost in that. And then the things that we experience in our lives, it's easy to get lost in the dark. And one of the things that darkness does when you're lost is it just, it just, it just takes everything from you. Our hearts yearn for hope in the middle of the darkness. Anybody ever got, been lost in the dark? Anybody ever had that experience? Lost in the dark? Yes. I was in Germany and I got lost in the dark. They don't light everything up like we light everything up here in the States. So I'm in Germany, and there's a park, and we're in the middle of a park, and the guy's like, oh, yeah, you just got to walk through the woods and get to where you're, you're going, and there was no lights on the woods. And then once I moved away from where the park was in the middle of the night, I'm in the middle of the woods, the forest, 
You know, it's almost like I hear wolves howling or something. It was just, it was really creepy because I wasn't familiar with the environment and I was lost in the dark, which is interesting. Anybody that's been cloudy here the last few days? Anybody been feeling a little sad and a little down at all? Have you noticed that about yourself? Are you like really feeling down and sad? There's something actually called sad. And what it means is it's seasonal, it means seasonal affected disorder. There's a part of the brain that's sensitive to light. And when, the, when your body and your eyes are not getting enough light, it, it almost, it, you, you start to get sad. Your emotions go down and everything like that. In Miami, we're light junkies. Yes. You know what I'm saying? I think, if they, I think if we had a month in Miami without light, we'd all be freaking out. If, it was, if the weather was like this, cloudy and overcast and gray, for like 30 days down here, people would be losing their minds. Some of you, you come from northern, anybody come from a northern climate? Where you, I, I come from a climate where I grew up, and six months out of the year, it was like that. And my wife was born and raised down here, so when I would take her home in the middle of the winter, she'd be like, where I came from, she'd be like, is it always like this? I'm like, yeah, it's always like this. She's like, I could never live here. I could never live here. She's like, I could live here. My daughter's the same way. She's like, Dad, I just, I just feel so depressed. It's like, I just feel so down, you know? So if you've been walking around like that for the last few days, like, wow, what's going on? You're looking outside, and it's just gray, and, you know, you feel like you want to go back to bed. Yeah, it's actually a, a neurological thing, which tells us that our, we're, we're designed and our, our souls are, are affected by light. And one of the ways that our souls are affected by light is when we don't have enough light in our circumstances, we get very sad. We all need light. Jesus came into the world to be the light of salvation. But to the Christian, he became to become not just the light of salvation, he's the light of life. He's the light that impacts and affects every area of your life. Whether we want to or not, we're going to go through dark days. We're going to go through dark days. Yeah, we have a lot of hope in this world. We have a lot of you know, light in this world. But reality is, is there's dark days, days when things don't work out. Anybody had those? You thought it was going to work out, and it just didn't work out. Days where everything's destroyed. You feel like you built something. You built this thing up. You were working towards this thing. You had everything set up, and then it just all fell apart. Days of dark, doubt, dark days of doubt, wondering if anything's ever going to change, wondering if it's always going to be like that, that darkness, darkness of distress where there's pressure on you all the time and you just feel like there's no way out of this pressure, there's no way out of this circumstance. Anybody had that? Darkness of defeat where you lose, you lose. We, we face inevitable losses in this world, but the good news in Christ, we always win. You know what I'm saying? We win. For every setback, there's a comeback. Even our defeats become our victory if we follow Jesus and we follow the light. The darkness of depression, disease, divorce, we, we go through these darknesses and these things affect us. First John, or John chapter 1 says, he is, his light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. So when we let the light of Jesus into these circumstances, when we allow his light to come into our circumstances, things change. Things change. And what has to happen is we have to change our perspective. We have to change our focus. Our perspective most of the time is on our reality. This is what happens. So I was sharing this in first service, so it's a good chance to probably throw it at you because it, 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 it really relates. One of the, the devil works in a lot of ways, but one of the ways that the devil works, he works in a... The, Scripture tells us to not be ignorant of the devil or the way that he works or his devices. Just as we're not to be ignorant of the Lord and the way that he is, we're not to be ignorant of the devil and the way that he is so that we can differentiate light from darkness. One of the ways the enemy works is he creates realities. That's what he does. And say it with me. Reality is not truth. Reality is not truth. Reality may be true, but reality is not truth. And so what the enemy does is he surrounds you with a reality. And into the reality, he begins to lie. So the reality of your circumstance, the reality of your situation, the, and that reality begins to come around you, and then he'll reinforce that reality with a lie. Oh, you loser. You made all these big mistakes. Oh, you could have done so much better. And so he'll, he'll put the reality over you, and then he'll reinforce that reality with a lie, first and foremost, directed towards you, and then he'll lie about the Lord. Oh, God, look what the Lord did. Look, God loves you. If God loved you, you wouldn't be in this circumstance. If God loved you, this wouldn't be happening to you. If God loved you, things would be different in your life. So this is how the enemy works. And, what, and the binding right of the reality is always the emotion. So what binds us to the reality is emotion. 
and we don't understand that we're not to follow emotion. So let me be clear. Emotions are given to you. They're gifts to you. And some of you are heavy feelers. You're really empathetic. You've got a lot of compassion. There's a difference between empathy and compassion, by the way. They're two different things. Jesus didn't move in empathy. He moved in compassion. Empathy is an ability to understand. Compassion is a totally different thing than empathy. He didn't move in, in empathy. He moved in compassion. Watch how he moved. He wasn't like feeling sorry for people. That's empathy. Feeling what they felt. He didn't, that's not how he did. He moved in compassion. Compassion, you, you see him walk right by people. There are tons of people that were in different situations. And, and empathetically, you would think that Jesus would do something about it. But he didn't. Because he wasn't moving in empathy. He was moving in, in compassion. When he looked at the crowd and he did the miracle, it wasn't empathy. He looked at them in compassion, the Bible says. He understood where they were and he did something about it. He wasn't looking around to solve every human need. He was going to the cross to solve the ultimate human need, to release the spirit, to solve every human need. What empathy tends to do is, soon, some of you that are empathetic, you're going to understand this. Somebody brings a need to you and you feel so sorry for that person that you just, you, you'll help anybody and everybody around you. you. You know what I'm talking about? And then you end up feeling drained and you end up feeling shot out and you just, you know, they, they hook a vacuum hose up to you and just suck everything out of you. You know, the vacuum hose that goes in reverse and they're just, you know, or, or, you know, pulling it out and they just take everything out of you and they're like, whew, I feel good and you're exhausted. And that's, that's empathy. That's not compassion. Compassion is understanding where the person is and if you have the ability to respond, then you try to respond to that, to that situation. But just because there's a human need doesn't mean you have to respond to it. This is true. God, Jesus did not respond to every human need. Every human need is dealt with through the cross. Human need is dealt with through the resurrection, Christ himself, submission and surrender to him, and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit activated through the promises that he gives. That's how human need is met. It, we may be instruments of that, but we're not to walk around in empathy. And what the enemy does, he's a master manipulator. We're emotional beings. You're, the emotions that you have are given to you for two reasons. They're given to you as a ministry to you so that you can experience the Lord, namely, and that you, it's a ministry tool, but it's not to lead you. So emotions are to minister unto you, and they're ministry tools unto others, but their emotions are never to lead us. Nowhere in the Bible where, is it the directive ever to be led by emotion, ever. They're led by his voice and led by his presence. His word, his presence, and his voice. The prophetic voice, the presence voice, his presence, or his logos, his written word. That's, that's, how, that's how we're led. And when he, what happens with us is that we get put in reality, and then the enemy comes, and our emotions get attached to the reality. And that's why we can't move. We can't move because we're stuck with the emotions that we're feeling within that reality. And we're not to be led by emotions. We're to be led by truth. We pursue truth. It's all going down. You've lost it all. It's over. And you're like, it's all going down. I've lost it all. Oh. Nobody has experience. You know, you're a loser. I'm a loser. It's never going to come back. It's never going to come back. And we get locked in that emotion. The question I always ask is, who told you that? Who told you that? Who told you it was over? Did Jesus told you it's over? Then it's not over. And you need a high career. But what we feel, we think that our emotions are our, are, are our truth. Emotions are your reality, but emotions are not your truth. And when you're pursuing truth and faith, say it with me. Truth, truth. Has, no has no feeling. Say this. Faith, faith. Has, no has no feeling. You cannot follow truth and you cannot follow faith if, if you're bound by feeling. I didn't say feeling doesn't matter. I didn't say that you've got to be stoic. So when, when anytime you say this thing, people think, oh, I got to be stoic and I can't feel at all. No, feelings have their place, but they're not the leadership tool given to the Christian. We're not to be led by our feelings. You understand? And then people get dissociated as well because they feel like if I'm following, then I have to feel it. No, you don't have to feel anything. You don't have to feel a thing to follow truth. You may feel nothing. You may feel nothing when you're following faith. God tells you to do something. You start following him, and, all of, and you get excited. Yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus. You start following him, and all of a sudden, you quickly realize that there's no emotion out there. There's no feeling in the world of faith. There isn't. It's neutral. It's a neutral space. And so you're following faith, and you're like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. Am I following God? Did I lose Jesus? Where did he go? And you start going back and looking for the feeling. You get what I'm saying here? 
Or the other thing is, is that you start following Jesus and you step into truth and you start moving towards something and the enemy will throw a storm at you. And he wants you to move with the emotions of the storm. He wants to freak you out. He wants to put you in fear. He wants to disrupt you. He wants to distract you. And he wants you to, and you're like, you're out there and you're following God. And all of a sudden you're like, did God really tell me to do this? Because it's really getting bad out here. And I feel all these negative feelings and I feel all this criticism and I feel all these different things. Did God really tell me to do this? And what happens is, I experience this all the time because I follow Jesus. So what happens is, is when you get out there and you feel nothing or the storm comes and you're surrounded by critics, because if you're risk-taking and you're following Jesus, you will always be surrounded by critics. The critics criticize you because they're, what they're doing is projecting their fear upon you because they're too afraid to move. And because they're too afraid to move, they'll project their fear back on you and tell you all everything that could go wrong and all the things and oh, you shouldn't be doing that and all that nonsense. And what happens is that the enemy wants you to be affected by feeling in order because if he affects you with feeling, you will be shut down and you won't move. You won't move. And this is what happens is that Christians get stuck in realities and stuck in moments in time and, they, and their emotions are bound to losses and pain and all this other stuff when the truth is, is that God has a glorious future for you. And you must pursue truth in spite of feeling. You, this is what happens. And so truth, when you pursue truth, you pursue truth and you're pushing through this reality of feeling and you keep pushing in the truth and you get to truth. Truth becomes a new reality. You understand that? You, we pursue truth until truth becomes a reality. Am, am I losing you? God works everything out to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's the truth you pursue. So no matter what the circumstance is, I refuse to come into alignment and agreement with the circumstance. I refuse to allow the emotions of the circumstance to affect me, to cause me to stop. I'm not denying how I feel. I feel this way, but I will not be moved by how I feel. I will not make a decision out of the feelings of this reality. No matter what this reality is, my decision will not be based on the feelings of this reality. My decisions will be based upon the truth. And God says he will work it out. Therefore, I will pursue the Lord in truth, regardless of my feelings, regardless of my circumstance, and I will pursue the reality that he's going to work it out until he works it out. Yes, this is true. This is how it works with all of the promises. It's the pursuit of the kingdom. But the way the devil works in our life is this is how he shuts you down. He shuts everybody down this way. He shuts the Christian down this way because we don't understand. And th this, God, Satan's the God of what? He's the God of this what? World. He's the prince and power of the air, right? So he's the God of a world system, and he's the prince and power of the current atmospheres within the world. So he rules the atmospheres, and he rules the culture and the systems of the world itself. What you see going on in this world right now and what the atmosphere is, everything is emotionally based. It's emotionally based. Everything's about feeling and feeling. We don't offend anyone and don't say anything bad. And that's your truth. That's not my truth. And everything's about feeling because the devil controls that narrative. And when he moves you into feeling, he wins. He wins. It's not feeling from the sense of I'm experiencing something. It's feeling from the sense that you're making decisions based upon emotion. You can feel, but you don't make decisions based upon emotions. And that's one of the biggest signs of Christian maturity is when they know how to master your emotions. It doesn't mean you don't have emotions. It just means these emotions will not lead me. I will not make a decision no matter how crazy I feel. I'm not making a decision. I will not. I will not. My decisions come by what the Lord says, and I will follow that whether I feel it or not. People get a word from the Lord, and then they don't feel it. So they don't move on it. They don't move on it because they're not feeling it. That's the problem. There's a discipline that you're lacking. You're lacking a development of part of your life. You've not learned to develop that part of your life. You're working out of feeling. That's, not, that's, why, that's why you stay the same. Stay the same. Imagine being the worship leader. God's going to go and do a battle. And he says, here's how the battle's going to happen. Don't worry, the battle's the Lord's. Don't worry, everybody. You know, Joshua's like, hey, don't be afraid. This day, the battle's the Lord's. I got a killer battle plan. I just spent time with Jesus, and I got a killer battle plan. Everybody's like, yeah, that's awesome. So I need the band to come up here. 
Ben, here's, here's what's going to happen. Hey, guess what, everybody? Just chill out because this is how it's going to go down. All right, so, Ben, guys, here's what's going to happen. The enemy's over there. They got swords and they got chariots and they're looking really crazy. Yeah, man, those guys are looking crazy. I'm so glad God's going to fight for us. You know what? God is going to fight for us. And here's the plan. The band is going to lead. So we're going to put the band out there, you know, with the tubas and the instruments and all of the, you know, you guys going to go out there with a banjo and the spoons and you're going to be leading the army of Israel who will be behind you. This is the plan. How many knows that the band probably would look at Joshua and say, you know what, dude, I'm not feeling that at all. I, I'm just not, I don't have a witnessing word. I, don't, I have nothing but a negative emotion about the word you just gave me. The word you just gave me brings up a lot of negative emotions here, Joshua. So I can't make that decision because I don't feel it. I'm not feeling it. This is how our, the, the American church has become based almost entirely on feeling. And we pursue feeling over truth. And we deny faith entirely. It's almost a complete and total denial of the faith. And what that is, is it's a demonic influence. It's a, I, didn't say you're, I didn't say that the devil's own, but you're being influenced by wisdom that is not of the earth, Christian. You cannot be moved by emotion. It is a warlike mentality that says, I will not follow that path. I will follow the decision, the truth of my father. I don't care what everybody around me says. Whose report will you believe? I mean, you see this narrative constantly through scripture. I don't care what everybody around me says. I don't care what everybody around, what, what I'm feeling internally. This is what the Lord has said to me, and this is what I will do. This is the direction that I will take, and I will follow this path until I get there. And, if I, and so here's what happens. I'll, I'll, just, I'll use it in real time. God tells me, I'm always out there, man. I am always out there. I did a, I did a, years ago, I did this uh, church planting uh, when we first started the church. So we started the church. The church had been going for a couple of years, but then, I, then th this whole idea of where they're going to give money for church plants, uh, we never got any money. So what's that tell you? God's like, they're not giving you money. I'm going to take care of this. And so, you know, but there's these church planting movements that give hundreds of thousands of dollars to 20-somethings coming out of college to plant churches, and the success rate is less than 40%. You know, they just don't make it. I'm like going, and, and they, I actually talked to a couple of these guys, so I'll tell you this story real quick. And I talked to them, I said, look, I go, look, the 24-year-old coming out of college, coming out of Bible school, doesn't need 200 grand to plant a church. He doesn't need that. I said, you get the guy to get the group up to 60, you get the guy to get the group up to 150, and then you fund him. Then you fund him. You don't need to fund them on the front end. This guy doesn't know how to handle money. He's coming out of college. You know what I'm saying? He's been eating Snickers bars and peanut butter sandwiches for four years. And you're going to hand him 200 grand, and you're going to wonder why he blows it in six months, which they would call a burn rate. They would say, our burn rate, burn rate. So burning money, so that, like, you know, that was, that's, how these, that's how these guys would talk. And so anyway, I went to uh, apply, because I'm like going, well, yo, handing out dough, I'm like, you know, saddle up. So, but I, I didn't, I had a, I had a um, which by the way, this guy's not even in ministry anymore. So the guy that analyzed me isn't even in ministry anymore, right? And so I go to this, this network, because uh, I followed him on, on social, and he's, I don't even know what he's doing. He's doing some peace project in Arizona or something. Like, he's just, I, I don't even, I have no idea. But anyway, I go there, and I, they give you all this battery of tests, so I take all the tests and everything. The guy looks at me and goes, my two, my two guys look at me, and one guy goes, um, he says to me, he's like, man, your entrepreneurial score is off the charts. He's like, have you ever thought about starting a business? I'm like, what? And then the other guy goes, yeah, and your risk tolerance numbers, you're in the top 10. You're top 10 for risk tolerance and entrepreneurship. Should you even be in ministry? This is what they're asking me. And I'm looking at him going, are you guys a church planning organization? Shouldn't you want entrepreneurial hearted people? And shouldn't you want risk takers? Isn't that what you want? You know, isn't that what you should be looking for? And they weren't even, they were trying to get me to go start a business. I'm like, well, I've been in business since I'm 19. I've been doing this my whole life. I mean, it's like, that's how the church thinks. We don't want the entrepreneur. We don't want the risk taker, you know? We want the idiot coming out of college that, does, that hasn't seen a dollar in his life and you give him 200 grand and he spent it. It's all gone. Well, we'll just try it again. You know, it's, 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 this is what's crazy about this. And so my point is, is that you have to risk to move forward. So I've risked all the time. And here's what it looks like. You're going to step into something. You get the Lord, and the Lord will tell you, move in this direction. I move in this direction. 
And when I'm moving in this direction, the devil will oppose the kingdom. And so there'll be opposition. It will never be a clean run. The enemy will oppose me. He'll throw everything at me. He'll throw everything at me. He'll, if anything he can disrupt in my life, he will to get my eyes off the ball. That's what he'll do. He'll disrupt my family. He'll disrupt my, my anything that, where there's any kind of backstory, anything that I haven't locked down like a hurricane, it's going to get lifted off the ground and thrown at me. And so that's another story another day. So I start moving forward, and all of this stuff starts happening, and I get knocked around a lot. And so what happens, this is important to understand, inevitably you will feel doubt. You will feel doubt because you're a human being. So what I do when I feel doubt, I go back to the Lord and I get the word again. Did you say this? I was just doing this this morning. I feel like I'm really extended on something. I'm taking a huge risk. I'm moving out on this. And I, and I was talking to the Lord this morning. And I'm like, Am I, did I screw this up? Did I, did I mess this up? And he's like, Kevin, I told you to do this. And you know what he said to me? Don't faint. Don't faint. I told you to do this. Don't faint. You know, don't, don't like collapse on me, dude, because it's a little hard. But I will go back to the Lord. I'm not looking for a feeling. You understand? I didn't go back to him and go, Lord, can you just reinforce the feeling that you gave me? I'm not looking for a reinforced feeling. I'm looking for the reinforced word. And then I move forward again, not feeling anything except the determination of God's word upon my heart. This is, this is how we advance, guys. This is, you know, you want to know how to advance? I'm telling you. The, the way the modern church is teaching us is it, it's like it's, it's, it's all about feeling. Ooh, it's feeling. I just watched this pastor the other day, and he's got his arm around his throat, and he's like, do you see your dream? Do you see your dream out there in the future? It's like, I just want you to feel that dream. I want you to feel it now. And I'm like, feel it? <laughs> it's completely misguided. You're never going to feel it. You're never going to feel it. And if you think you're going to feel euphoria, I've been married 30 plus years. Sherry and I are not feeling euphoria every time we look at each other. You know what I'm saying? It's not confetti and hard bubbles all over the place every time she walks in a room. I mean, it does happen. You know, I think she's wonderful and beautiful and I appreciate it and I value her, but there's not any, it, that's just not going on 24-7. We, we move forward. Sometimes there's no loving feeling between the two of us. There's no love. You know, we love each other, but we're not walking around in this feeling of love. You know, we, we, we move together in a way that doesn't require us to feel. Now, she's always asking me, do you love me? Do you love me? I mean, like a typical woman, but yes, I'm, I love my wife for sure. But this is what I'm trying to tell you. The, the, way that, the way that your life will advance, the way that any area of your life will advance with the Lord looks like that. And what you have to understand is what stops you and what is stopping you. Jesus isn't stopping you. He's not stopping you. Well, I want God to do it for me. He's not going to do it for you. He'll do it with you. He'll do it with you. Everything is with you. Lo, I am with you always to the end of the earth. He didn't say, lo, I'm out in front of you doing it all for you. I'm with you. We're doing this together, right? I, I say this all the time because women, women really gravitate to this. When your husband looks at you and says, I want to do this together, how does that make you feel? Awesome, amazing, right? Because the woman wants to do it together. When I have men that say to me, I don't know how to make this work with my wife, I always tell them, try this line. I want us to do this together. I said, just look right at her and say, look, I'm willing to work on anything. I'm willing to work on myself. And I said, but I want us to work on our marriage together. I said, try that one out and see what happens. I said, just try that one out. <laughs> What's the percentage rate? 90 plus percent uh, if we work on it together because the wife wants to work on it together. We're, we tend to, men tend to be the isolationists, but that's another, that's another story. The light is greater than any darkness. So when Jesus comes, he wants, he comes to bring light. First light that he brings, he brings the light to the heart, the light of salvation. We come to Christ. The Bible says we don't come to Christ because we love darkness more than light. Why a man would love darkness more than light is beyond me. I was in Dallas. I was on an Uber. I had to take Ubers to this thing I was at. I mean, it was awesome. But uh, I'd witnessed the two of the Uber drivers. And so I was, you know, had a high percentage. One guy gave his life to Jesus, you know, which was awesome. Yeah. The Uber ministry. The other guy was listening and he was open, but the third guy shut me down completely. He didn't want to hear it. 
And he's telling me about his religion and all this other stuff and telling me where he's from. And, and we were talking about witchcraft. And he's like, I don't see what you Christian, why you Christians think about witchcraft. And, and, and I start telling him, I'm like, well, dude, it's like you're, you're manifesting devils. You're calling on devils. You're, you're invoking things from another side. You know? And I was telling him all this. And he, of course, he didn't believe it. And his perspective of, of the devil was different than mine, <laughs> different than the Bible. And he didn't want anything to do with Jesus. And so uh, I witnessed to him all the way from the conference center back to the hotel, which was about 20 minutes. I, I talked to him, and I was sitting in a car talking to him out there, and I just, he just didn't want it. He didn't want it. And, and like, to me, I'm like, why would you not want Jesus? You know what I'm saying? I was looking for Jesus. I didn't know his name was Jesus, but I was looking, man. I was like, I'm lost. I don't know where I'm at. I'm clueless and helpless. So when people don't reject Christ, it just, it's, it's baffling to me. It's, it's just baffling to me. Like, that's beyond me. It's, he's the greatest thing in the world. What he offers is, is everything. He's the desire of nations. Say it with me. Jesus, Jesus. is the desire of nations. He's everything I'm looking for. I just don't know it. He's everything the world is looking for. They just don't know it. He's the desire of ethnos. That's all people. That's right. Whatever you're looking for, Jesus is it. I'm looking for love. You got it. I'm looking for purpose. You got it. I'm looking for meaning. You got it. I'm looking for identity. You got it. He's everything you're longing for. Every single thing you're longing for is found in him. It's, it's who he is. Anyway, so he comes to bring us the light of salvation. Men love darkness rather than light. Jesus is the one and only. Um, someone asked me this. I'll throw this out there. Someone asked me one time, Kevin, can't you find truth in other religions? And the answer to that question is yes. But we don't need truth. We need a savior. You see the difference? We don't, we don't need truth. We need a Savior. And when you come to the Savior, then kingdom truth is revealed to you. That's the difference. The gospel is veiled. It is veiled to those who are perishing, whom the God of this world has blinded their eyes. When we come in, Jesus is truth, but we don't come into the fullness of the truth that he is until we come to him first. Plato has a lot of truth. Gandhi had a lot of truth. Osho has a lot of truth. They all got truth. They're robbing usually from the gospel or they're robbing from a kingdom principle that God created in the world, right? I used Paul Newman in first service. Anybody know who Paul Newman is? Yeah. Yeah? You're like, hey, man, I use a salad dressing. Great, that's the example I'm going to use, right? Paul Newman's salad dressing. Guy became, a, he, be, he earned so much money off of the salad dressing because he tapped into a truth. He's an atheist. The guy didn't believe in God, didn't, you know, he wouldn't tell you the first thing about God. But he, he started that salad dressing company because he wanted to use the money for charity. And he got tired of people ripping off his face. And so he said, if anybody's going to make money off my face, it's going to be me and I'm going to use the money for charity. So he started Newman's own salad dressing for the soulful intent of giving away the profits. What ended up happening is, is he got into the law and the truth of reciprocal giving. A law that he wasn't even aware of. And the more he gave, the more it came back. The more he gave, the more it came back. I saw an interview with him in the mid-90s, and he was saying it's the most surreal thing in my life. He said, I've never seen anything like this. And he said, I just, I, he didn't expect it to do what it did. He didn't expect it to become what it became. And he said, he, he said they had more money coming in than they could give away. Now, how it is, how, where is that? Because there's a truth of reciprocal giving that's created into the meta, meta the, the world, the universe. Not the metaverse, but <laughs> the meta-universe. God created and framed the world with truth. He holds all things together by the word of his power. Your word is truth. So all this truth connected, everything, every system that exists outside of the darkness is truth. So you can find truth without finding Jesus. But we don't need truth. We need salvation. If you talk to a sinner, most of the time that truth is, you know, oblivious to them. And we end up arguing over truth when it's salvation. I argued with my brother. I had, and I had a, one time, this is my brother, um, didn't know Christ before he came to Jesus. And I'm arguing with him. And I was a young believer. And I was full of fire, right? My mom's like, don't say it to him, Kevin. Don't say it. You're around your brother. Because I was a zealot. I was a zealot. I was Jesus freak. I still am. But... I was, my wife, my mom's like, don't, 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 don't provoke your brother with this. Don't provoke your brother. I'm like, mom, if he asked me, I said, he's going to get it. And so my brother asked me and he got it. And I'm saying things to him at the time. And it was just pure revelation coming out of my mouth. I was like, wow. You know, I'm like, somebody get me a pen. I need to write this down. It was so amazing, but he wasn't connecting to him. And I remember standing in the kitchen of this house that we were in and, and I'm just baffled by this. And the Lord said to me, he can't understand this. 
The only thing he can understand is that he's a sinner and he's lost and he needs me. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's how the Holy Spirit works, right? You're a sinner. You're lost. You need salvation, the righteousness of God. You're not right within yourself. And if you fail, you come under the judgment of sin. That's, that's the three, that's the model how the Holy Spirit works. So that's why we have to preach sin, righteousness, and judgment, especially to the unbeliever. You're in sin. You're lost. You cannot save yourself. doesn't matter what a good person is. You cannot, you cannot attain the righteousness of God. You're lost. It's impossible. You need the righteousness of Christ. And if you reject the righteousness of Christ in your sin, you will come under the judgment of sin. And you'll be eternally lost. That's the truth. And when I gave him that truth, he began to pause. He stopped. Now, he didn't fall down and give his life to Jesus. My wife took him to church one Sunday, and of course he gives his life to Jesus. But he didn't, he didn't do it with me. Because I'm his younger brother, so he's like, there ain't no way. You're leading me to Jesus, man. But Sherry, Sherry said uh, she was in church with him, and she could tell they did an altar call. This was a big church, and they were calling her by Ford. And she said, my brother was gripping the chair. She said he was gripping the chair. She was just like this. She was like, I'm not going. I'm not going. And she said she patted him on the leg, and she said, come on, Neil. I'll walk down there with you. And he got up and walked down the, walked down the. She just patted him on the leg, and she said, come on, Neil. I'll walk down there with you. <laughs> People come to Christ on the arms of a loving friend. Your friends will come to Christ when you invite them to come to church, to be, some, to be around an environment where they can. People come to Jesus on the arms of a loving friend. Think of how you came to Christ. Very rarely does someone come through events or things. That's, it, it happens, but most of the time there's a friend or a loving family member involved. That's how people come to Jesus. Th this is why evangelism happens on a, on a micro scale. It's, it's, it's households, it's oikos. You, you're responsible to reach out to those around you. You, know? you don't have to give them Billy Graham, but you have to invite them or, or at least connect them in some way, in some form. That's another story, another day, but that's what ended up happening. Light comes into the world to save us. Light comes into the world to guide us, to inform us. This is a, I'm, I'm saying a lot. I really want to say this. This is really what I want to say. This is like the middle part of what I want to say, so hopefully have time to do all this um, but anyway so you have the, the light that comes into the world to illuminate us to illuminate us to uh to to the darkness that's within us to become a guide into into the areas of our life jesus is the answer doesn't matter it comes to inform us the eye as he comes to inform us salvation precedes kingdom truth this is what i was trying to say and what is god what is god illuminating to us what is god informing us of He's informing us, if you're a Christian, what he's informing you, the light is informing the believer, the unbeliever, that they don't know Jesus. But this is essential, because we're talking about kingdom movement here, and I want to kind of reinforce this theme a little bit, is that the, the light, the Christ that comes into you is to inform you. Here's, here's the information. Say it with me. I'm created, I'm created. On, purpose, on purpose with a purpose. This is how God desires to move in our lives. This is what he lays out. Right? I spent a lot of time looking at this, and as I've invested years of my life trying to understand what the Lord wants, I realized a lot of the things that I was taught in church is not necessarily what the Lord wants. It's, they're good things, they're life principles, they're wonderful things, but those are not directional purposes for my life. That's not the way the Bible reads, and so it lies dormant. God hides things from us. It's the glory of kings to conceal them. It's the glory of God to conceal the matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. He hides down the meaning of life or, or the meaning of your purpose and your destiny. He hides it. He wants you to search for it. He wants you to search for it. And if you don't, well, then it lies undiscovered. God would never do that. Oh, yes, he would. You must pursue him. And so it looks like this. I'm going to give it to you because he showed it to me. Purpose. So you're created on purpose with a purpose. All of us, every human being is created with the same purpose. Right? So just bear with me. Your purpose is to know Jesus, to come to Christ. That's the purpose of humanity. And to in the second stage, this is where the gap happens with Christians. Christians are like, I've given my life to Jesus. The second stage is integrating your life with him. So your purpose in life is to know him and then to take every area of your life and integrate them with Jesus. In your area, in your life, you become one with him. In all the areas of your life, Jesus is everything. And then you live you live with a kingdom mindset and you live towards eternity you don't live for this world you live towards eternity everything you're doing has eternity in mind you can build a business 
and invest from that business, but do you have eternity in mind? Is your kingdom being built to propagate the eternal business of God? There's a, a lot of different ways of looking at this, but that's the purpose. But, but here's, the, here's the shift. So that's the purpose. Every one of us has that purpose, but each and every one of you have mandates and you have assignments within the season of your purpose. So every one of you is to come to Christ, and you have a mandate, and you have an assignment within that, within that genre. Okay, so let's just say this. Uh, it, it relates a lot to seasons, so let's just say this. <clears throat> your purpose is to pursue Christ, to integrate your life with him, and all this other stuff. You, let's just look at integration. So we'll look at one area. Um, <laughs> I keep wanting to avoid marriage, but he keeps pointing me back to marriage. I'm like, why always marriage? So let's just look at marriage. So the season of life that you're in, so it's integrating, because I think that's probably ground zero if you're a married couple, is integrating your marriage with him. You begin to integrate your marriage with him, and, God's, and you have issues within your marriage. And so you, the Lord, what is my mandate, and what is my mandate in this season of my life? Your mandate, Kevin, is to make your marriage, make your marriage stand, to make your marriage reflect me. That's your mandate. So what's, that's my mandate. So, okay, what do I do? Well, here's your assignment. Your mandate is this is what I want you to do. Your assignment is this is how I want you to do it. You get that? No? Nobody gets that? Your mandate is fix your marriage. Your assignment is deal with your anger. Deal with my anger? What? Are you kidding me? You think I got an anger problem? Every time you don't get your way, you act and throw a tantrum. No, I don't. No, I don't. <laughs> Mandate, fix your marriage assignment, fix your issues. What about her? Then God, the woman comes. What's your issues? What's your issues? Your mandate is to fix your home. That's your mandate. Fix your home. A wise woman builds her house with one hand, and, or a foolish, a wise woman builds her house with, with um, both hands. A foolish woman builds her house with one hand and tears it down with both. You see the power you have, women? Women, women have a lot of power, especially within the home. When the Bible speaks of a woman with influential power within households, it's drastic. Yeah? Are you building it with one and tearing it down with two? <laughs> I liked it better. It felt better, Pastor. It felt better when you were talking about him. It felt better. <laughs> What's your mandate? Fix your marriage. How do I do that? Deal with your junk. Here's your assignment. Deal with the emotional decay. Deal with the emotional brokenness. Deal with the roots and the reasons for why you freak out. Deal with the emotional roots and the reasons why you want to run away. That's your assignment. You see how this works? Do you see why people don't want to do it? Because it's really up close and personal. This is how the game is played, Christian. It's up close and personal. This is how we transform. We don't transform by, you know, waving pinwheels and, and all these other things. So that, that's the celebratory side of this kingdom. The transformative side of this kingdom is up close and personal. It's gritty and it's ugly and it's bad. Not bad from his side. He's not freaked out. But it's bad from your side because you don't really want to see and know what really is going on. When you ask the Lord what's going on, why can't I move forward, what's your mandate? Most of the time, everybody wants destiny. They want the destination of where their life can be. That's destiny. You have an eternal destiny that's predetermined. God, you're going to inherit that kingdom. Hallelujah. But what your life will affect in this world has, is yet to be determined. And so everybody says, give me my destiny. What can my life determine? Where can my life end up? And sometimes he'll show you a little highlight reel of that. Anybody ever had that? You can see how your life can affect you. Like, wow, you have a little highlight reel. Like you see, like, man, I can achieve or do this. This is what my life can become. But the gap between destiny is understanding your purpose and then fulfilling your mandates and your assignments within the purpose towards the destiny. And it always begins with integration. You have to integrate. You have to integrate your life. And then once you integrate your life, then you start being, then God will start handing out the assignments related to your destiny. But the biggest thing, especially with people that are married and have children, is your destiny is your home. You say it takes two. It absolutely takes two. It absolutely takes two. This is why the Bible says, don't marry an unbeliever. That's why it tells us that. Because the unbeliever is not accountable to the Lord. There's no accountability. Look, I do marital counseling. You know what my first thing is when I talk to people? If you ever do marital counseling with me, you got to realize that when somebody don't want to listen, I say, are you Christian? Do you claim Christ as Lord? And if they tell me yes, then I'm going to give you the instructions according to his lordship. 
Is Jesus your Lord? So this isn't about my opinion. This is what the Lord says. This is the instruction of his lordship. If Christ is your Lord, then these are your instructions. And if people don't want to hear it, well, then, hey, you know. But that's how, that's how it is. But if there's somebody's an unbeliever, they have no accountability to Christ's lordship because they don't care. They don't care. You know, you have to appeal to them on, a different, on, a, on several a different levels. But that's, that's, how, that's how this stuff is. If we're Christians, this is what we're supposed to follow. What is your mandate in this season? What is God telling you? So your purpose is to know the Lord and integrate your life. Lord, what are you telling me? This is what happens. Most Christians, when they ask instruction, they'll get an instruction like this. Start attending church. I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't show that. Commit and connect to church. I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. Your mandate will not proceed until you follow the first instruction. If you cannot run with a footman, if you cannot contend with a horse, you cannot run with the horses if you can't contend with a footman. You can't do basic things. What's he calling you to? Integration. Everybody wants destiny, but you can't even show up. I got people that want to be pastors, and they can't even show up to church on time. I've had people do that to me. Like, oh, God's called me to be a pastor and evangelist. I'm like, well, A, you don't, you're not involved. B, you can't even show up on time. You know, C, you don't even know your Bible. That would be what's going on. What's the mandate in their life? They may see that as a destiny, but there's mandates and assignments that relate to where they want to go. God always begins with integration. If he wants, if you want, so let's, let's play another one. This is another one that plays out in this room because we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this church, a lot of people. They want financial success. They want their business to be a success, yet in, their finances are not integrated with kingdom values. How do you think God is going to give you the destiny? What do you think your mandate is? If, if you're believing God and you want the Lord involved, which you do, trust me, Trust me, if you build it and it falls apart, well, oh well. You build it and it falls apart, Jesus, if Jesus builds it with you and it falls apart, he'll build it right back twice as fast. He always backs up what he does, rest assured, right? So you want the Lord involved. You want to do a business, but you don't integrate your finances in the way that the kingdom wants them integrated. And you think he's going to give you that. He's not. You, he'll keep bringing you back to the mandated assignment, tithes and offerings, right? Getting your financial house in order in a sense to where you're not overspending. And, you know, there's just, you know, nobody's perfect. It's like, it's like the word budget seems like a prison, but it's just, it's lining your money up with the way that he wants it done. That's your mandate. That's your assignment. And when you get that one right, then you'll get another mandate and another assignment. And those mandates and those assignments, if you will follow them, will lead you to the place that he told you you could go. But if you won't follow the mandates and the assignments, I don't care how glorious your destiny is, you're not getting there. You're not getting there. You're just not. This is the way it works. And so this is, again, up close and personal. And the delusion, the delusion is that God's going to do it for me. No, he's not. He does it with you. He's not doing it for you. He's done it. He's made a way. He's created a path. And he says, follow this path. That works for marriages, it works for children, it works for all kinds of stuff. Anybody want me to do kids? I'll do kids. I can do this one too. I've experienced all of this. I've made major mistakes as a father. Didn't mean to, probably was blind to most of my mistakes. Any parents in the room, you can probably identify with, uh, with, with what I'm saying. And so what's the issue? What's the mandate? What's the mandate? Well, some of the mandates for me was to come to the place where I realized that there were gaps in this, there were gaps within seasons of my life with my, with my kids. There were gaps. I didn't want there to be gaps, but there were, right? You're a pastor. You're a man of God. I, no kidding. Really? You know, but there are gaps. Life happens, and, what, and we get distracted and all kinds of things, and, and so it just, it just ends up happening. And so I had to acknowledge, first of all, that there were gaps within those seasons. And even though if I, I was not responsible for the things that occurred, I had to acknowledge that those gaps did exist. And once I acknowledged that, that's mandate one, then the assignment was to seek the Lord on how to reconcile the gaps that existed as, as I raised my children. That's my, that was my mandate and my assignment. Now the mandate is what, fix, fix what's wrong. How do I fix it? Start by doing this, start by doing this, start by doing this. You understand that? Because there's a destiny that God wants to fulfill through my family. The devil wants to shatter it to pieces, but God wants to fix it. This is, again, all things work out to the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. There's nothing that's broken that he can't fix. Nothing. Nothing. He can fix everything. He can fix you. Right? You say, I'm broken. No, no kidding. That, that's step one. Acknowledge you're broken. You know, but he can fix you. Say, nobody can fix me. Jesus can. 
Nobody can fix his circumstance. Jesus can. He can turn it all around. It's who he is. It's what he is. It's how he does. He can do it. If you'll follow the mandates and the assignments, God will progress you towards the destination that he has for you. He will progress you, but follow the mandates and the assignments that he lays down. Did I make that clear enough at all? Yeah? Okay, thank you, three of you, for getting what I just... I got three. That's great. That's awesome. It's, it's tough. Understand. 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 You know what's hard for the Lord? You know what's hard? So if you're, let's go back to parenting. If you're a parent, is it easy to watch your children fail? No. We hate seeing our children fail. It's very difficult when we observe our kids and they're not succeeding or they're not... Fa- How do you think God feels when he looks at you? Because, not because he doesn't love you. It's not because he doesn't accept you. But he sees what you could become. He sees what, what you could do. Not because he needs anything. You don't need anything. You know, from your kid that's playing on the basketball team or whatever, do you need anything from that? No, you, you get satisfaction because your kid is succeeding. That's, you feel that way, right? You know, sometimes we take it too far, but nonetheless, but we, we feel gratification and we have joy when our children, like John says, are walking in truth. When our kids succeed, we feel that way. That's how God feels about us. And we feel, we, we get upset with our kids when we don't feel like they're living up to their potential. Can I get a witness? Can anybody here that's a parent, when your kids are not living up to your potential, that's the thing that bothers you. It bothers you the most because you could see the potential that they actually have. This is how God sees us, is that he can see the potential that we actually have. He can see it. And so he yearns for us to understand these things so that we can achieve our potential, so that we can get to where we, where, what we could actually do. Another story, another day. I will share this with you. So let me just, I'm going to go fast and close with the rest of it, but I just want to share this. So let's just put this in real time with this church. So what are we doing? So we have a purpose. So the purpose of this church is to glorify Jesus, right? Bring, bring integration through the family of believers onto Christ and then, and then um, live, direct this, how, this church towards eternal things and bring a mindset of on earth as it is in heaven. That's our purpose. Our mandate, so we have a mandate in this season. Our mandate is to acquire property. That's a mandate. God says, this is what I want. I want you to raise money, and I want you to do these things as we've laid out. You know, I want you to buy the land, do the school, get this thing started. That's the first mandate. Or the first mandate is that. The assignment is raise the money. The mandate, obtain the property, start the school. That's the mandate. The assignment is to raise the money to do the mandate. When we raise the money to do the mandate, the assignment will change. Now acquire the property. Once we acquire the property, the assignment will change. Organize and start the school. You understand? until the mandate is fulfilled. And then the mandate will be fulfilled and God will hand us another mandate. Then there will be another mandate on top of that mandate. But that's the mandate that we have. And what will the destiny be? What's the destination of a project like that to affect change in our generation? There's a destination to this. There's a determined end to this. This will bring something forth. You see how this works? No? (laughs) I'm showing it to you in a better way so you can see it. You know, it's the same thing with us. So the light comes to, uh, comes to uh, inform us, comes to guide us, lead us out of the things. Um, <laughs> so the light comes to guide us out of things. It comes to heal us. So L-I-G-H-T, so the light comes to guide us and it also comes to heal us. The healing, the healing that God brings into our lives is a revealing of our brokenness. Do not fear when God shows you you're broken. Don't be afraid of that. You don't have to have it all together. Churches and denominations want you to have it all together because it makes everything look tidy and presentable. (laughs) Everybody here, nobody here has got any dysfunctions. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, you know, Sunday nobody has a dysfunction, but Monday through Saturday, it's a bag of cats. You know what I'm saying? But Sunday, no way. We're all good. We all got it together. Nobody's got any problems. It's all perfect. It's all good. High and tight, nice and, te- nice and neat. What the light does is it exposes our brokenness in order for us to be healed. God shows us the brokenness because he expects. He has an expectation, right? There's an immediacy. There's a power. There's a purpose. There's an expectation. When God reveals something, his expectation is that we understand that we're broken, that we understand that he loves us in spite of our brokenness and that he has the ability to heal us and to change us and to transform us. And we're all broken. It doesn't matter whatever level of life you feel like you're at. We're all broken. The word saved is, sa- is sozo, right? Sozo simply means saved, healed, and delivered. 
So if, if what salvation means in the scripture is not just that you're saved. That's not what it means. It means that you're not only saved, but that you're healed. Healed in what way? Spiritually, physically, emotionally. You're healed in every way. It's a holistic gospel. And that you're delivered. Delivered from what? Can I get a witness? How about this one, right? This is a great way of phrasing it. When I would ask the Lord, he gave me this language, and I love to say it. Say it with me. The lingering aspects of a former life that I no longer own. That's deliverance. Yeah, that's deliverance. So we're saved, we're healed, and we're delivered. We're set free from all the crap that we're still carrying with us, even as Christians. All the stuff we're carrying from our childhood, all the stuff we're carrying from our losses, all the stuff we're carrying from our regrets. Saved, healed, and delivered. This is God's intent. And the way you get there, right, if you go to Alcoholics Anonymous, 12-step program, first step is, hey, my name is Kevin and I'm an alcoholic. That's step one, acknowledging that you got a problem. That's the first step. That's off the rip. This is how we get healed and delivered is when we realize we've got a problem. We, want, we, we got an issue here, and we can't fix it. I got an issue here, and I've been reading the Bible from cover to cover, and I've been doing in-depth Bible studies, and it's still there. <laughs> Too close? Too close? <laughs> I got a problem, and I've had 50 people. I've had apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers pray over me, and I'm still the same. You understand where I'm going? When you realize that you, there's something broken here, and it's deeper than what you thought it was, and it's more, it's more affecting you than what you thought it was. It, this is how we change, and then we pursue it, and we pursue it, and we pursue it. And what makes us religious and sterile and what makes us judgmental is when we act like we got it all together and we don't have any problems. You know, and we, we're, we're, we're so insulating of our own issues, and that's why we judge others. And we tend to judge others with the areas in the areas of our life that are really deeply affecting me, or are affecting us. People don't talk out. I, mean, I say this. Say this with me before I say this. There's no holiness without the Holy Spirit. I get Christians, well-meaning Christians, well-loving Christians. They want to talk about holiness. They have holiness, 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 holiness of the Lord. I'm like, how's that working for you? There's no holiness without the Holy Spirit. You're not holy. He is. And in you, in the Spirit, you're holy. So when people talk about holiness and they're really rigid and strict about holiness, it means they're struggling with something. And they want rules and regulations put around them because they think that's a mechanism and that's a, ma a way to, to manage their own brokenness that they cannot handle. And that's why we put rules and religion around them and judgmental attitudes because we don't want to look at ourselves. Yeah. So if we will look at ourselves and we just realize everybody's Yes, thank you. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. If, we, if we'll realize we're all broken, I mean, man, you know, you don't have to talk to me about brokenness. I'm like, I'm all in. I'm like, yeah, okay, okay. You know, so another story, another day. I'm all in. I'm all in. This is what freed me. This is what set me free. And, there's, and, and we're, all, we're all broken at a variety of levels. But you know why? Because sin has broken us. We're born broken. We're Mephibosheth. We've been dropped at our birth, and we carry the brokenness of our birth. If you don't know the story, look it up. Mephibosheth was dropped as a child, but yet the king set him at the table. David put him at the table. You've been, you and I are, are dropped at our birth, yet we sit at the king's table. We bear the wounds, the brokenness, the fallenness of a life that we were born into. And we, there's healing, and there's deliverance, and there's freedom for all that. But the fact that it's just to acknowledge that we're not broken is just nonsense. It's just nonsense and acting like we're superior. You know, people are broken on, on, on emotional levels. There are people that are broken on psychological levels. There are people that are broken on relational levels. People are broken, man. People that are broken on identity levels. Good God, look at our culture. If we're not broken on an identity level, we don't know what a man or a woman is anymore. This is how stupid we are. Broken at the level of identity. Really? And we just act like it's okay. And then the church is like, well, this, I think this is okay. This feels right. This feels good. Doesn't it feel right to be loving and accepting, pastor? Doesn't it feel right? It's not truth. It's not truth. In the beginning, he made them male and female. Amen. End of story. Amen. End of story. 
And a marriage is between a biological male and a biological female. That may not be your point of view. That may not be my point of view. But that 100% is Jesus' point of view. Whether we feel it or whether we don't. <laughs> Just saying. Lastly comes to transform us. All right, I'm five minutes over. I'm going to finish in three. Thank you for your grace. Transform us. Electric companies have transformers. You know that? Everything light is doing in our lives. Life is trying to transform us. This is the end game. All the things we're talking about is about this end game. When raw power comes to, down your, down your power, power line, it goes to a transformer. And that transformer converts that raw power into useful energy. So when God is transforming you, he's trying to take this raw material that's you. He's trying to take this raw power that's within you. And he's trying to transform it into something that's useful. Does that make sense? This is everything he's doing. The Lord is never against you. He's always for you. He's trying to move you into what you were born for. He's trying to move you into the, the potential that you were created for. He's trying to move you. He's trying to do all these things in you. And, he's, and part of that process is transformation. To take this raw, like, psycho energy that if that power was outside of its containment would just, you know, you know what I'm saying? Electric is really crazy power. And it converts the power. The power is transformed into an energy that can be used. He wants to transform you into something that's useful and someone that's useful. It's about trans. It's how much he loves you. I mean, if you think about it, I thought about that. I'm like, he not only gives me a purpose. He cares enough about me to give me a mandate, to give me an assignment that has an associated destiny attached to it. Who does that? Who believes in you that much? Who? And only Jesus. My parents didn't believe in me that much. You know what I'm saying? You don't believe in you that much. Nobody believes in you that much. But he does. He does. And he cares so much for you to change you. He loves you too much to leave you the same. He's changing you to turn your life into usefulness. All of the raggedy nonsense and crap that you come from. So I come from the Brady Bunch. I come from Dr. Huxtable. You know what I'm saying? I don't. I don't. I mean, if you don't know who the Brady Bunch is and Dr. Huxtable, just, you know, go on TV land and you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't know what one is anymore. But anyway, moving on, which is transform us. We're to be transformed. We're to come out of darkness and into light. This is the transformation of the unbeliever. Come to Christ. Be transformed. For the believer, it's coming out of a culture and into a kingdom. Out of darkness into light, out of culture into a kingdom. Christians come out of darkness and into out of light, out of darkness and into light, but yet they still stay culturally bound. They never make the transition into the kingdom. Even though they're in the kingdom, they never bring their lives forward through the kingdom. That's different. It's Lazarus, right? The image is Lazarus. Lazarus is resurrected. Lazarus come forth. He's resurrected. He's power. He's got new life, but he's still bound. Still bound. Do you get the image? Christians come to Christ, you know, whoever, come forth. And you're like, yay, Jesus. <laughs> we have to be transformed. We have to be renewed. We have to move away from the boundingness of a culture and the bindingness of the former life and move into the kingdom. This is what it's all about. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, last verse, and we'll pray. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord which is your reasonable service. It's, it's not that much to ask that Christ, the one who died for you, Christian, that you should live for him. This is what the Bible's saying. Is it too much to ask that the one that died for you, that you should live for him? That's what he's saying. Stop living for yourself. Live for the one who gave his life for you. It's not that hard. Then he says, do not be conformed to this world, right? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Proving what, then you will prove the will of God and you will discern the will of God. People are like, what's the will of God? Renew your mind. Don't think like the culture. Think like the kingdom. On earth as it is in heaven. This is the mandate. Human logic is never where Jesus is. He's never in human logic. He's never in human wisdom. When the devil got Adam into human logic, he won. When the devil got Adam into human reasoning, he won. That's why we don't make decisions out of emotion and human logic. We make decisions out of the mind of Christ. This is a discipline and a development. It takes time. We have to discipline ourselves and develop ourselves into this. It doesn't come naturally. We have to develop it. Our natural tendency is to follow our own way of thinking. 
Another story, another day. Just say this. Holy Spirit, Spirit, I give you permission permission to be my light, to to lead me me out of the places that I've been and into the places that I'm called to be. I give you permission to inform me, show me my purpose, give me the mandates in this season, and assign to me not what I want, but what you want, and show me the desired end, the destined end. I give you permission, Lord, to guide me through any and all darknesses in my life. I will not be moved by emotion. I will be moved by truth. I will not deny that I don't feel, but I will not allow emotions to be my leadership. Your word, your will, and your spirit will be my leadership. Guide me out of the darknesses that I find myself in. I give you permission to heal me, to illuminate to me all of these uncomfortable things that I don't want to look at. Show me what the issues are, even if I don't know what to do with them. I will give you permission, and I believe that if you'll show me the issues, and if I'll let you show me the issues, then you will provide the solution to what you're showing me. I give you permission to transform me, to move me away from human logic and human wisdom, and teach me what it means to receive from and be in the mind of Christ, that my decisions would come and from a communion with you in a clarity of your spirit. I give you this permission, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll close there. Oh, all right, let me say it. I don't want, I want to close, but it's like, say it, say it. If you're here today and you don't have it, you never received Jesus, or you're not sure that you've ever received Jesus, and you're watching us by live stream, and you don't know if you've ever given your life to Christ, and you're like, I'm not even sure if I'm a Christian, I don't know what this guy's talking about, well, today you can know. The Bible says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and he has risen from the dead, and you will be saved. Salvation and kingdom and adoption and transformation is a prayer away, and we're going to pray it right now, and Elevate, the family at Elevate here is going to pray with you. And so just if you're here this morning and you're here with us and you've never given your life or you're not sure, come on, just open your heart. Let's just pray. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. And so I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you're here, hey, come on, yeah. We have a prayer team will be available for you. There's probably some cake left over. I'm not really sure. My wife's going to keep me away from it, even though I'm, I'm spying something. I want the cake. Sherry's like, no, you don't. I want the cake. Anyway, prayer team available. Let me bless you one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you, and may he be faithful to you, and may you forever live within his presence in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We love you.